Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Today, we are featuring a presentation from the 2019 COS Leadership Summit called A Living Room Conversation. This fascinating discussion about grassroots activism and legislative strategy featured Convention of State's President Mark Meckler, Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs Rita Peters, and Senior Vice President President of Grassroots Operation and Mentoring, Ginny Rapini. Enjoy. Part of what I wanted to do in this section is to give you a chance to see what it's like inside, how we work together and, and the things we do, and, and give you a chance to get to know these folks a little bit better. So I'm going to ask them some questions. Uh, part of it is to let you get more intimate with the national team. One of the things I worry about as the organization grows is that it, we get more distant from everybody because there's just so many of you. And so one of the reasons these meetings are so important, this kind of stuff is so important, is so that we know each other right? and so that you know our hearts because we can be this big, powerful organization, and if the heart doesn't carry through, we fail. right? So we have a mission. And our mission, obviously, there's a political mission, the ideas that we call a convention of states, but it's, it's so much bigger than that. And one of the things that, that I want you to know that we're committed to always is to give you guys a place, a way, a meaningful path to engage in political activity where you, personally, you and your own activities have a chance to save the nation and where you're attached to something much bigger than yourself. This is important. We're all attached to something that is bigger than ourselves. We're seeking something beyond our own glorification, our own ego, our own power. We're going to give you a place, hopefully, that will always give you a meaningful path to change the country, to save the country. In this case, to call a convention of states. But there's a lot more than that. We'll talk about that a little bit. So I know you've been up here already. I'm going to start with Ginny, if that's okay with you. And he has not given me any idea what this is about. <laughs> and she hates and that. And I gotta say, you said that you felt like Kermit the Frog yes. in these chairs. Yes. I feel like, does anybody remember laughing? Yes. And, and you remember Lily Tomlin sitting in that chair. <laughs> I feel like her right now. Yeah. It's the throne. You kind of get lost in this chair. Yeah. The, the chairs were made for giants. <laughs> Pete Hexa. So, Ginny, I want you to talk just uh, briefly about what got you started in political activism? A little bit about your background and then you became virtually a full-time political activist. How did that transition happen for you? Well, I can't say that I was never involved in politics prior to the Tea Party. I was, I was involved in the pro-life movement and, uh, you know, marched in parades and I would, I went, to, I remember coming to the Capitol when James Dobson was here about SB7 way back with, uh, regarding parental consent. And so I had, and I would write letters to my legislator. I would call them up, but I, there was no guidance to do anything more than that at that time. And uh, I was always politically aware. And then the Tea Party came, uh, you know, Obama and Obamacare, and it just seemed like everything was unraveling with our nation and our constitution. And we went to that first rally that was in nine, not 10. And um, it was amazing. And I heard this guy speak and I said, he lives in Grass Valley, that's 20 miles from us. We gotta find him. So if he's an attorney, he'll be in the phone book. No, he's not. And uh, I was very well hidden at the time. He wasn't anywhere. I had to find someone halfway down the state who knew his parents 
that got us hooked up with his parents, that got us hooked up with them, and now the story was over. So um, when you got engaged, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things about how you got engaged is it's like immediately you were all in. And I know I hear right. that from a lot of activists mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they, they weren't necessarily doing anything organized. Maybe they had participated in a few things like you, but then they found the cause, the thing yeah. that ignited their fire, and they were just 100% in. Because, I mean, you work more than full-time. Thank you, mm -hmm. Del. I appreciate your patience. <laughs> and so can you describe a little bit about what happens when that flame gets lit? And you've seen it happen with a lot of people. Right. I knew that we had to, Del and I both knew. It wasn't just me. It's been him. Right. It's been both of us. I'm the loud mouth, but he's the force behind me. Um, but when, when we met with your parents, I asked them if we could start a tea party group in our area. And uh, then they introduced us to you. And we had a little group of NorCal tea party when he dumped the rest of it on us. And, but it was great. It wasn't dumping at all. And there was just something inside both of us that made us know that we could no longer sit around and complain about the politics and gripe and bellyache like we all tend to do or throw our shoe at the TV when we hear some idiot. We had to do something. <clears throat> we have broken TVs. So, so we had our first meeting at our house and 27 people came. I and mean, we live in a mountain town and we had 27 people that came to the first one we kept growing in the house and we were having them almost every week and then we moved to a town and we got a room that would hold 50 we thought oh this will last for a long time the first first meeting we were out the doors and we couldn't hold them we had to go to a golf course at their convention thing we had 250 people that were coming in this small rural area 250 people coming every week to a tea party meeting. And you know then that there's just a hunger out there for everybody. They just need somebody to show them how to do it. I didn't know what I was doing. None of us knew what we were doing, but you know just a little bit more than somebody else, and so you bring them along. And then you realize, I just can't keep growing this whole big group. I could have a group this big, but what good's it do? They just come to a meeting, pat themselves on the back, I'm an activist. So that's when I realized I had to, we had to create leaders for other groups. So we started putting on monthly leadership seminars. We just, out of our own pocket, rented a hotel room, put binders together, did a leadership program. Okay, you guys are all leaders now at the end of this thing. How many of you are going to start a group? And you know what? 31 of them did. <laughs> and many of them are still in and are active today. Some of them changed their name to take off Tea Party because the media was very successful at maligning that name. But uh, some of them still say Tea Party, but they are, but what NorCal Tea Party did is we morphed into more. 42 of our people went into public office to change the local government. Others uh, got involved with Convention of States, others involved with election integrity, but they, we morphed into more powerful things. The Tea Party was the shock and awe at the beginning that we needed, but then there's the ground game that has to take place, and we're in the ground game, the door-to-door, -door, we gotta do it, and it takes a lot of legwork to, to do it. So the, the Tea Party was the foundation for what we're doing now, I believe. Rita, I'm going to go to you. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got involved in politics? 
Well, it was Mike Ferris who got me involved, as we spoke about yesterday, with this movement. And I call the, the time that I met Mike Ferris as a providential intersection in my life, right? We've all had those we can look back and see. This was no accident that I met Mike when I met Mike. It was totally God's doing. And the way I met Mike was I was writing a Supreme Court amicus brief at the time on behalf of several members of the Virginia General Assembly in a case. And one of those members looked at the brief and he said, you know, I really want my name included in this, but I'm not an attorney, so would you please get in touch with this person named Michael Ferris and have him read it over, and if he's good with it, then I'll sign on. So I called up Michael Ferris and we did the brief thing, and then Mike went on and said, I wanna tell you about this project I'm starting up Convention of States project. So he told me all about it, and I, I have to say my first reaction was that I was a little bit embarrassed that as an attorney, I really knew nothing about the Article V convention process. It had never been mentioned throughout my three years of law school, so it was all really new to me but I tell you, while, while I was in law school, throughout those three years, I always sort of had this nagging sense uh, about constitutional law that I must be missing something. Because I can see what the Constitution says the federal government is supposed to be doing, and then I read the newspaper, and I watch the news, and I see what is actually happening in Washington, D.C., and they're just not the same. There's a disconnect. And it had bothered me for a long time. So I was really excited after Mike taught me about the Article V convention process and what he was doing to start this project because it was totally logically compelling to me that this was the answer. If the problem we have is caused by primarily these bad interpretations of the Constitution by the Supreme Court and Congress and others, and that's what has caused so much of the dysfunction, that's what has caused the disconnect that had always bothered me so much. It was just totally logical that the answer was to use the Convention of States project and fix that. So that's how I got involved. What did he tell you you were gonna do for Convention of States? Oh, I've never asked you this question. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I got a call from him and I remember, I can remember where I was standing. I was standing in my dining room, looking out the window, talking to Mike Ferris and he said, I, you know, I have a proposal for you. I know you stay at home and your family's your priority, but we would really love to have you on our national team. We'll take you for as many hours as you can give. You know, I don't know what we can pay you, but we would love to have you. And I said, yes, I would love to. <laughs> and that is never, so not Rita, I just want to <laughs> We never really talked about what I was going to be doing. Thank God. 
we sort of figured that out as we went along. What did I tell you that you were? Oh, I'm do? so glad you asked me that because I got <laughs> to tell you guys because there's some of you in here. Bryce Barris is one of one of my very first recruits when I came on board, and we didn't have anything for you to educate you. We just said, figure it out which is exactly what you said to me. I said, well, what's my job description? He says, I don't know, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do have a history of doing that, I have to admit. <laughs> Mainly because that's the kind of job description that I like. <laughs> so, <laughs> we do have job descriptions now. We've got, yeah, we thank do. you, Mike, and I appreciate that. we have manuals. We have manuals and we have COS University. Uh, Rita, can you talk a little bit about uh, now that you do essentially have a job description, at least one that came out of working, what is it that you do for Convention of States? Well, first of all, I have to say I do what I'm needed to do. I, I work sure. where I can be useful. I love feeling useful. I get so much gratification out of that. But my job description that goes with my official title has to do with just having the big picture of what's happening legislatively across the country and being sort of the repository for your state strategies, um, any legislative movement, where the legislators stand, where leadership stands in your states, so that when Mark slacks me and says, hey, I have a radio interview in five minutes. <laughs> I never do anything in the last I minute. I give her Mark. at least five minutes notice. <laughs> uh, when, when I get those messages from him, you know, he has a radio interview in this state, what can I tell them about what's happening right now in this state? I can give him that information so that he doesn't have to go, you know, to different people for different states and um, I can sort of be the central repository of that. I also, I think you'll be pleased to know those state strategies that you all work so hard to come up with, that you take time out of your day to go and meet together, or you know maybe you do it by web conference, but you develop a state strategy. I study every one of those documents when I get it, and I think through, is there anything from national that we can add to this or that we can do to help make this happen. I coordinate sending Mark or sending Senator Coburn into your states for legislative testimony. And every single morning during legislative season, the first thing I do is get up, go to my computer. This is after my cup of coffee. Go to my computer and I go through every state where we have pending legislation and I check to see, has anything happened with it? Has something been posted overnight as far as a committee hearing um, or anything else that's gonna take place? So that's mainly what so I So I want you guys to think about how extraordinary this is, that there is a single point of contact inside the organization that knows everything legislatively that she has been told or that she can research that's going on in every single state. And this is incredibly important for all of us, right? Because all of these things intersect, not only in your own state, but among the states. Because Rita has to figure out, you know, where do we need to send Mark? Where do we need to send Tom? Where do we need to send Alan West or anybody else who might tra be traveling for us? Where do we need to send Robert? Where do we need legal help? Where, where do we have a drafting issue? That, you know, she catches things like the legislative drafter has misdrafted our, our resolution, 
right? And so she's the one who's responsible for making sure all that stuff goes right. And I, it's hard for me, I cannot overemphasize how much we all rely upon her. Now you have other people that work with you in your department now. Can you give a little bit of credit? Yes, I would love to. Ramona DeSalvo, I see you. Can you please stand up? <laughs> she won't want to. Come on, Ramona. Come on, Ramona. Stand up. Stand up, please. is also an attorney, um, a successful attorney from the Nashville area. She's been a volunteer um, for her Tennessee team and was an amazing legislative liaison in Tennessee. And we just recently brought her on staff. And what I love about Ramona is her judgment. She has such good judgment. I trust her. Um, to make good decisions and exercise discernment, but Ramona is our special counsel for legislative affairs. I want to make it clear that you all create the legislative strategies for your states. I think, you know, back in the beginning, sometimes I think there were people who had the idea that I was going to create a legislative strategy and hand it to them, but that's not the way we work, right? Right. So you all create your legislative strategies, and I, you know, I'm happy to consult with you, and I do often consult with state teams with a conference call, you know, to see if there are other things we can do, how we can get around obstacles. But I love the fact that you all create your strategies, and some of them are so brilliant that that I'm amazed when I get to see them. Yeah, I think this is very important to to me, to us, philosophically. And the parent organization, uh, originally the name Citizens for Self-Governance, right? Because that's what we are, is we're self-governing citizens. It's, this is about we, the people, being in charge. Almost all of the political organizations that I'm aware of that are quote-unquote grassroots organizations, the way they work is people sit in a corporate office somewhere. They usually are in a fancy office building somewhere, usually in Washington, D.C., and usually they decide what is the organization is going to do and what the people in the field are going to do. And then they put out an email or hold a conference call and they say, okay, next week you're all going to your state legislature and you're going to do X. And here are your talking points and here are what you're going to tell them. And we, we will never work that way. I'm, I'm not interested in working that way. I'm a grassroots activist just like you. If somebody told me what to do all the time, I wouldn't be around very long. I'm just not interested in that. Anybody interested in being told what to do? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I get people all the time who tell me, well, if you'll just tell your activists to do X, and I said, if I just tell my activists to do X, we won't have any activists anymore. <laughs> right? So it doesn't work that way, and so I think this is really important. And there's a big burden that we place on you, right? This is not, it's, it's a two-way street. We have a lot of expectations of you. And I know sometimes it can seem overwhelming. There are, the LMS has to be filled out. The, the follow-up tool, you have to be all over that. You have to be keeping track of your numbers. And all of these things, we want you to remember, all you're doing is reporting what you're doing to us so we just know. And so that we can look and say, can we help? Is there something that's missing? Do we need to provide resources? Do they need assistance? Our job, our job is to serve you. That's what Rita is here for, is to serve you legislatively in your states. I'm gonna switch over to Jenny, really on the same subject. What is it that you do for Convention of States exactly? Well, again, we do whatever we're asked to do, and it, we don't have boundaries of, oh, well, that's not my job description. The only thing they never <coughs> ask me to do is anything that involves technology. <laughs> 
they're afraid of that one. Uh, my job is to help build, grow a healthy grassroots army because does anybody know what the mission is? Yeah, self-governing army. The most right. educated, the most activated, the most inspired group of self-governing activists the this nation has ever seen. That is what we want. And so my job is to work with the grassroots to not only and what we call is what we call it is reach, teach, and activate. We need to reach out. But you know, we're an organization that is so different than even at, well, no, the Tea Party, they came running to us too. But we have people who come to us. I mean, we have people that go online and fill out an application and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. I want to volunteer. They're coming to us. And it's our job to get back to them and to reach back, to draw them in, but not just draw them in and let them go, but to draw them in and make a self-governing citizen activist out of each person. And we won't do it without that. We will never succeed if we do not build that army. It has to continually grow but they have to be activated. We're not just interested in numbers. Mark talks about this a lot, that a lot of organizations have a greater database than we do. But that's all they have is a database. They have a list of names. And there's no connection to those people. The people that we have, we're connected to. And we need to continue to draw them in and to activate them, to teach them. So my job is to work, I work with a lot of people, but I have a handful of people that work really close with me, and I'll tell you one who is just uh, amazing that's been gifted to me, and that is Jason Gerard. Where are you, Jason? Where are you, Jason? <laughs> Where's Jason? Where? Is he hiding somewhere? Jason. We'll drag him in and recognize him a little later. Well, you guys all know Jason. He is now on the Tuesday night district captain calls with me, and he is, I just sit back and watch that kid. He is amazing when it comes to the grassroots. But the thing that he helps me the most with is gathering the numbers. Now, I don't ever want us to think that this is numbers, a numbers game. But we can't begin to measure the health of our teams without understanding those numbers. And you know how many are how many district captains do we have? But how many of those district captains are actually active? And so those ones that aren't active, how do we go and reach them and draw them back in and make them <clears throat> active? And Jason is the guru when it comes to being able to analyze that and figure out where you guys need help, because that is my job: is to provide the help to you to be able to reach, teach, and activate all of those people within your state that you can gather this huge army of self-governing citizen activists. I have other people that work with me with COS University. I have Monica, Bud Cornwell, Jerry Rowe, uh, Ann, um, Mike, uh, oh gosh, I'm missing somebody on there, Jason. I'm missing someone. We love them all. It's hey, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a great grandma's brain here. They all kind of fell out. 
so anyway, but it's not just one person that does this. It is a team of people that does it, and you are also part of that team. Working with each one of you is an honor as well. And I love it when a state director will um, reach out and say, hey, I need some help with this. I love that. You know, I want to, this is a sort of something I, w I would like both of you maybe to dialogue on a bit, which is you're in charge of legislative activity, you're in charge of grassroots activity. I think that could lead to the perception that somehow those things are separate, right? And oh. they're not in our organization. So can you guys talk about how that <laughs> intersects? <laughs> yes, and we are exactly on the same page as far as this goes, just so you know. Their legislative strategy hinges upon the activity of the grassroots. Mm -hmm. The grassroots activity is the engine that makes the strategy go and drives it forward. You know, where it may be theoretically possible to be successful legislatively in a state using, you know, behind closed doors kind of strategy, that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're interested in. And it's rarely gonna be successful anyway, by the way. So we need the grassroots engagement. And this is really an important point because there, we have had experiences in the past with a team that may have a few superstar state leaders, you know, top state director, legislative liaison at the very top. And they're totally competent and capable. They're wonderful. They know what to do. They're confident. But they try to do it themselves without ever building that team mm -hmm. at the district level or without fully engaging the district captains or without the district captains really engaging the volunteers in their district. And it doesn't work. I can t we've seen it over and over again. So it's so important. Jenny, yes. What would you uh, there, we do, we're together. Yes. I mean, we're Kermit the Frog <clears throat> and the other. <laughs> but we can't, it is my job to build the grassroots army so that her legislative efforts can be successful. It's your job to build that grassroots army so that when you, this is a C4 day, right? We're our C4 so, <laughs> day. I should have made that announcement. Robert, are you happy? Are you, you can proud talk of me? politics. We're free. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I'm free to say that. So that when we go to the state capitol and we are trying to get those legislators on our side, we have to be able to have the the district captains involved and engaged. You can't do it yourself. As soon as you think that you're the one that's going to bring the whole the bring the resolution to fruition by yourself. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen with the grassroots. And we want it to happen with the grassroots. And you know what? For those of you in past states, if you think that you get to take a break, Rodney has let you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> but how you, many states does Rodney have now? Well, he has 16. We have 15 yeah. past states, but got, he would not let go in New okay, York. So he's got 16 <laughs> states. By the way, the goal is Rodney's not working hard enough. And he's our past states guy, so we need to make sure we give him 34. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I want to say something about uh, this, the synergy of the two of you working together, these two departments working together. I feel it at the point of the spear. 
And so I get sent out into the field. These guys are telling me where to go. I get a briefing from them before I go always so that I know what to expect. They're gonna tell me when I come to your state, very strong in grassroots, struggling with district captains. The, the northern part of the state is weak and the south is strong. Uh, they're gonna tell me numbers, like how many numbers of grassroots they have, how many numbers of petitions. Uh, Rita's gonna tell me where we have legislative trouble. This is a legislator you need to focus on. This is the person you need to convince. These are your biggest allies. Getting that kind of data heading into a fight, I, it's extraordinary, right? So for me, I'm being dropped in. I parachute into your state, I'm in and out, and I better have a map. I better know what's going on when I land. That's where I start. So I parachute in, I've got the map that they provided to me. It's gonna be as accurate as the information that you have fed to them and what they can glean from what, you, this is why it's so important that you're feeding them the information. Otherwise I go in blind and it's, and, and I wanna be really serious about this. It's dangerous for your state for me to go in blind, right? I can do damage to your state efforts if I don't know what's going on. And when I land, what's gonna happen is the recon team is gonna pick me up and they're gonna give me the immediate on the ground information because you guys have fresher information than they do. You are the eyes and ears on the ground. You're gonna have a legislative liaison that knows moment to moment what's going on in your legislature. So you're gonna bring me into the fight, that, that immediate recon team. You're gonna take me to the legislature. You're gonna tell me, mm, Rita wasn't 100% right because some stuff has changed in the last day and a half. And they're gonna tell me, you know, Ginny had a good picture of the battlefield, but we've got two new district captains in this important district. All of this stuff plays together when I come to your state. And then the last thing I wanna say about how this all works together when I come to your state is when I come to your state, there is only one person or one group of people who are in command of what happens when I'm in your state. Just one, you, right? I'm not in charge when I come to your state. I don't want to be, I won't take charge when I come to your state because it's your state and I don't know what's going on. Right? You know what's going on. If you don't, we're all in trouble, right? But uh, what I expect of you when I come to your state is that you will use me, that you will say, this is what we need grassroots-wise. This is what we, we need you to speak to the grassroots here. We need you to motivate more people to be DCs. I'm like a jukebox. Put the quarter in, I'll play whatever tune you want me to play. But that's my job is to play the tune you want me to play. Same in the legislature. I don't know who to meet with. I mean, Rita might tell me some people, you might tell me, no, we got that guy. You don't need to spend time with him anymore. And so we count on you guys. We get the information from you. They feed it to me when I go into state. We put it into our plans nationally. Another thing I wanna say about what, what they both said is, we have resources, right? We are incredibly blessed. Uh, and I would say in large measure because of Patty and the development team. Is Patty in the room yet? There's, there's my beautiful wife, Patty. She's a senior vice president of development. She's got an incredible team of development people around her. They raise the money that make these kinds of things possible. By the way, are you ha you're having a good time? You can thank Patty. She raised the money to make this happen. <laughs> Diane Gomez, Diane, where's Diane? Diane, trusty right hand there making it happen. By the way, former state director of Indiana. So if you want to know what happens if you're a really incredible grassroots activist and your state passes, then we are gonna make you work harder and put you to work for national. <laughs> you are not done. <laughs> That's a warning to your spouses too. Hey, Mark, can I ask you yeah, a question? Please. 
So I'm thinking back, you probably remember the details of this better than I do. It's a little bit hazy for me right now, but I remember earlier this year, we sent you to West Virginia. You, we needed you there for a committee hearing, but the time and day of the committee hearing was sort of up in the air. It kept changing. We kept hearing different stories. Um, and the problem was we also needed you the next day to be in Utah. And it was essential for you to be there. And I remember you sending me on through text message a picture of what you were eating for dinner as you were sitting in, in the Capitol at West Virginia just waiting for this committee hearing that we hoped would actually happen and you were eating like a Snickers bar or something. It was it was a <laughs> it was worse it was a than vending that. <laughs> vending machine, a honey bun and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> because the Capitol was actually locked. So yeah. if he had gone out to get something he wouldn't have been able to get back yeah. in. So this is the kind of sacrifice he's making. And then, of course, with the trip to Utah, you know, we're on the phone and he's saying, should I go ahead and go? I know I have to be in Utah. So finally, we were able to find, I was able to find a flight from Columbus, Ohio, that would get him to Utah in time. But that meant that he would have to go rent a car and drive from Charleston, West Virginia to Columbus, Ohio to get on a flight to get to Utah the next morning. And this is all in the middle of the night and he's powered by a honey bun and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I wanna ask you is, how do you do it? What keeps you going? They do. I mean, it's really simple. Look, so I, it's, uh, so I know when I come out and I hang out with you guys, it's, I'm always upbeat, and that's because when I'm with you, that's how I feel. I'm not always upbeat. It's not always easy. That particular trip was really hard. I mean, you had to kind of smack me around a couple of times and get my <laughs> attitude straight. Because this is the real deal behind the scenes. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to drive in the middle of the night from Charleston to Ohio with a honey bun and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's not rational, right? And I'm getting older. It's getting harder. Hey, and, it gets worse. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'm looking forward to it. And so, uh, and sometimes I get down about it because the, the West Virginia thing, as Jay knows, it was rough. Do we have a hearing? Do we not have a hearing? We don't know. We didn't know if we had a hearing. We certainly, and I think that night, miracles took place yes. that evening, right? So not only did we not know whether we were going to have a hearing or not, then the hearing gets called, and we know we're going to have a hearing. We don't know if we're going to get heard, right? And we don't know when we're going to get heard. They don't put us in a schedule. And literally all day long from the morning when the Capitol opened, when we were standing in the rain and sleet to get into the Capitol, Jay and I, we sat in the Capitol all day, and they would not tell us when we would be heard or if we would be right. heard. It was almost like they took pleasure making us sit on those hard wooden seats all day, huh, Jay? So, yeah, they did. And that's right, Tom says they did. And so we sit there all day and the committee's hearing this and that and they're shuffling things around and, and we've told them that I have to leave mm -hmm. to go to Utah. And it feels like they're just trying to drag it out until I have to leave, right? And Jay and I are talking and we're looking at the committee and we do not have the votes. We can't we can't figure out how we're gonna get there, but we also know that if I'm not there to testify, it's impossible. 
Like there is a tiny, maybe somehow a miracle happens, but if I'm not there, I'm probably not even going to hear us. Well, and the reason for that, just for background, is that in this particular hearing, they would only hear from experts. So they would right. hear from Mark because he's an attorney. But at that particular They wouldn't let Jane testify they, or right. anybody else. And so I had to be there if we were going to get any testimony. And so finally, I think around 9 o'clock at night, uh, they called us up. And it, it started terribly. It started because they called us with uh, U.S. term limits folks, yes. right? And so they asked for an expert, and they called the U.S. term limits guy up there. And they said, so how many states have passed this thing? And he said, uh, I, don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> and like, well, do they have do these applications have to be the same? And he's like, uh, I'm not an attorney. I'm not really an expert on this. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, he's gonna he's gonna crash us. Like he's the expert on Article Five. I'm sitting there, literally eight feet away from the vice chair who's asking these questions, thinking I've been here all day. They've got some guy who has no idea what he's doing, answering the questions as the expert, and we're going down in flames. And this is how my day is going to end before I take my honey bun at Mountain Dew and drive to <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> and thank God, and I do mean thank God, the vice chair looks at me and says, do you know something about this stuff? Because I think you know something about this stuff. I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And so he called me up and I was able to answer all their questions. And when the vote came, unbelievably, the vice chair who had never been willing to commit to us, who was as just slippery as a vice chair could possibly be, broke with the chairman to his credit, voted against his chairman who voted against us and was the deciding vote. And we passed that committee. And so, there's two things about that that are really important to me. One, that's providential, in my opinion, right? I didn't want to be there. Uh, Rita had to coax me to be there, you know, pat me on the back when I was having a temper tantrum. <laughs> and, uh, and I was there, but I was there because I was supposed to be there, right? And so I was willing to be there. Uh, and I don't, look, it sounds like it's such a great sacrifice. I don't mean it to sound like that. I have a job where I get to wake up every day and do something I'm completely passionate about which is get to work to save the nation. So no matter what I have to do, whether it's honey buns and Mountain Dews in the middle of the night or traveling to three states in a day or whatever, it's a privilege and a pleasure. So when I get irritated about it or upset about it, somebody does need to smack me around. <laughs> I'm just saying, Patty does it too. So I got a bunch of people who keep me in line. Um, and then I went to Utah. Utah was another really interesting story. I know we, Utah team here, we got Utah folks in the house. There we go, there's our Utah team. Thank you guys. Utah was incredible. We go to Utah, um, and I had to be there because we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. We needed to kind of do last-minute lobbying. It was a there's a lot of folks in that legislature. There's a lot of moving pieces. We've been real close before. We went there, lobbied all day long. The day I got there, it was a really productive day. Things looked really good, but we just never know for sure, right? You never know. And something really weird happened that day, which is I could not get a hotel room in Salt Lake City. Like, I've never had this problem. Not one hotel room in Salt Lake City. Patty had to chase one down. I found a hotel room for me about 30 minutes away from the Capitol. We lobbied all day. I left the Capitol, uh, started driving. I was about 25 minutes from uh, the Capitol. And I got a text from one of the legislature, one of the legislators, and he said, 
Mark, they're voting on your Article 5 application right now. <laughs> the legislature was out of session when I left, right? Everybody was going home. I had, and Candace, who is our incredible lobbyist, who's right, by the way, I'm sorry, but one of the best lobbyists in the country right there, Candace Daly, incredible <laughs> servant to the movement. Not all lobbyists are bad, so there's one of the good ones. Anyway, so I got this call. I pulled off the highway. I threw the iPad on so I could watch what was going on. I turned around the, the rental car. I drove back to the Capitol. And about halfway back to the Capitol, man, a procedural move, call the vote, boom. I'm on the highway. We pass. <laughs> like, I was a little bit frustrated, to be honest with you. I mean, I really wanted to pass, but all that years of work, and I didn't even get to be there. None of us got to be in the legislature. All the grassroots, we were all at home. Everybody was gone. Thank God for the Utah legislature. Um, so I see that we're about out of time. This is what I would like to close with on this section, which is to let you know this what you see up here and the way we feel about you and the way we feel about each other is the heart of this organization. This is really what this organization is all about, which is we serve, right? We love each other, we serve each other, we take care of each other. It's incredibly important to us to do that. It is also amazingly satisfying. I've said it before, I'll say it a hundred times, I've never worked with a team like this. And when you have the opportunity to do that, you are way, better than just yourself. Right? This team is so extraordinary. I think we're all good in our own way, but together we are extraordinary. And if you model this, if you in your own state teams model the way that we work together, I have no doubt you too will accomplish miracles. So thank you guys for being up here with me today. Really appreciate it. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.